Many people all over the world claim to be Christians, and yet when asked what their religion is about, there are variations in the response. And one is left to wonder, what is the essence of Christianity? What is Christianity really about? Well, on today's episode of the Changing Times podcast, we deal with this very question. My name is Del Buanika, your host, and my guest today is Pastor John Paul Stepanian, a missionary with sufficiency of Scripture Ministries here in Uganda. Welcome back, and if you're here for the very first time, welcome. Pastor John Paul, welcome to the Changing Times podcast. Hey, thank you so much. It, it is truly a joy to be here with you, sharing and uh, discussing these important matters today. Okay, and, and, and so we'll get right to it. Hmm. What is the central doctrine of Christianity? What is that central message of Christianity? The message of mm. the gospel. It's the message that God has revealed in the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ. It, frankly, it's simple enough for a child to, under, to, to understand, but it's deep enough that the greatest minds will never plummet depths. Christians have summarized the message in several ways throughout the history of the church, but I've, I've found the following summary quite helpful. There's a few points to it. One, God is a holy creator, and he's devoted to his own glory. So we see in Acts chapter 17 when Paul is preaching in Athens, he says this, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Right? So first we see that God is the holy creator. He's devoted to his own glory. He's the one that made everything. But Shortly after that, we see that man is sinful. He's condemned by God. So as we think about the gospel, we have to kind of understand this message in, in some of its detail. So we have man is sinful. He's condemned by God. So in Ephesians chapter 2, again, very clear. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, among whom we all once lived. So this is a universal problem. Mm-hmm. Every single person, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So God is the holy creator, man is sinful, and then key, key and central to the gospel is that Jesus Christ received God's punishment for sin on behalf of his people. So 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, mm-hmm. the righteous for the unrighteous. So there's this idea of substitution. Right? There's this idea of Jesus taking the punishment that sin deserves on himself. And in, in Romans 3, 23 through 25, there's also this amazing summary that I just have to draw our attention to here. It says this. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, he's going to give us some more information about Christ Jesus in verse 25. He says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Mm. Now, that word propitiation is a very important theological term. It means a blood sacrifice that satisfies wrath. Mm. A blood sacrifice that satisfies wrath. Whose wrath? Well, it's the wrath of God. It's God's anger against sin because man is sinful and he's condemned by God because of it because God is fair and he judges sin, right? But that's not the whole gospel, right? That's what God has done. But the gospel actually doesn't include this command of God to respond to it. And it's a command to believe. And in fact, faith 
is how we receive the benefit of Christ's work of salvation. So we've got this in Acts 16.31, the Philippian jailer cries out, What must I do to be saved? And, and Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Right? There's this command to believe. Um, you know, the gospel call, Deo, is expressed in different ways mm. throughout the Bible. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In John 1, 11, it talks about those who believed him, who received him. So this idea of receiving Christ. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this idea of following Christ. In John three thirty six talks about believing in him, right? So... There's, there's these different ways that the scriptures express uh, how we are to respond to God to this gospel call. But God is so kind that he commands us to repent and believe. Mm. It's not just an invitation. It's a command. And so, and you know, the, one of the places that it expresses this so clearly is Mark chapter 1. What Mark does is just astonishing. He presents Jesus... And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's this gracious command of God to receive the person and work of His Son as a substitutionary death, substitutionary payment for our sin. So I hear five points. Mm. God, yep. man, yep. sin, Mm-hmm. Jesus. Yes. And a call to faith. That's, it. That's you know, absolutely right. S- summarize that for us briefly. I know you've mentioned it, but summarize that for us briefly. What is the central teaching of Christianity? The central teaching of Christianity, again, we'll just go through it here. God is the holy creator, mm. and he's devoted to his own glory. Mm. Man is sinful and condemned by God because of his sin. His sin is condemning, right? Again, Jesus Christ received God's punishment for sin. There's this idea of substitution that is so essential to the central message of the gospel. Mm. There's a substitution. There's a substitutionary payment of sin that Christ accomplishes on behalf of his people. Mm. And then finally, faith is how we receive the benefit of that work of God. It's faith, Mm. right? It's not works. It's not sincerity. It's not trying hard. It's, It's faith. And it's important to kind of Define that faith. Can I? We'll be, we'll be on, on that shortly. Yeah. And thank you so much for uh, that summary. But in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we yeah. find a summary that Paul gives. Yes. He tells the Corinthians, I would remind you of what I preached to you, the gospel I preached to you. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is it. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And he says there is witnesses to that. Yes. Now, how is that central to the gospel? How is that message, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, how is it central to the message of the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. Can, can we just go through 1 Corinthians briefly and kind of look at those things? I think you, Let's do it. you've raised it perfectly. That, that is a critical passage. Um, it's a beautiful summary of, of the gospel. So as a wonderful and concise summary... Let's just start here in in verse 3. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. Well, Paul delivers it. First, that reveals to us it's a message. Mm -hmm. It's something that he has to share with them, right? He says it's of first importance. Obviously, it's the most important thing. And then thirdly, he says something interesting. What I also received. So it wasn't something that Paul invented. 
Mm. Right? He didn't come up with this. This wasn't the great idea of Paul. And, and in fact, we see evidence of that in Acts chapter 9 and even Galatians 2.12. He says, I received from Jesus. This is what I saw. This is, this is the message I received. Right? Now, what is that message? Well, he goes on and details it. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. Right? Christ died for sins. And this is kind of to your point, your question here. Right? There was a requirement mm. that was met. Sin requires punishment because God is just. He's fair, right? He's a good judge. He's not a judge that says, oh, sin is okay. No, he says sin must be punished, right? He's fair. And so because there is this requirement and no human being can meet the requirement, right, then we're in a, we're in a predicament. We have a serious problem. But this is where the wonderful grace of God is revealed in that Christ died for our sins, Right? In accordance with the scriptures. Now that's an interesting phrase too, because it means this was actually the plan of God from a long time ago. And it was written down. And you say, Well, where was it written down? Well, if you go to Isaiah 53, you see a lot of these things. It's pretty amazing. And Psalm 16, verse 10, Psalm 22, and these other amazing passages in the Old Testament that reveal these truths of the gospel. But then he goes on, he says that he was buried. Well, why is it important that he's buried? Well, like we said earlier, this denies the swoon theory. Oh, you know, Jesus falls asleep because he's not feeling good, and then he wakes up three days later. Nope, impossible. He's buried. You bury a dead person, right? Mm-hmm. And it also, it denies the stolen body theory, <laughs> right? Nope, he wasn't stolen by the disciples. He was actually buried. He was dead, right? But then it also says, he was raised on the third day. Now, this resurrection is critical, right? Everybody dies. It's not that astonishing, Right? But only Jesus rose from the dead, right? Only Jesus rose from the dead. He's the one that's victorious over sin and death, right? And what that resurrection proves is the validity of his claims and his deity. So if somebody says, I can save your soul from hell, and then he dies, that's not very impressive. But if somebody says that, and then he comes back from the dead, Mm. you better listen. You better listen to him, right? Because he just conquered death himself. And if he can conquer death, that's your biggest problem. Mm. (laughs) That's everybody's biggest problem. You're going to die, right? So if he can conquer death, then of course he can conquer these much lesser problems that everybody has, (laughs) right? Um, Namely, our separation from God because of sin, which is the most important one, Mm. right? So there's this resurrection aspect. Yeah, and then obviously that's in accord with the scriptures. And then he appears to Cephas, and then the 12, and then to 500, then James, and last of all to me, he says, he's talking about Paul. So Jesus is alive. Why does he say that he's appeared to these witnesses? Paul says, I've seen him myself. Myself, I've seen him. That's what Paul is claiming right here. So you have an eyewitness account of the resurrected Jesus. Mm. That's huge. Why does he say there's 500 others? Why does he list these people by name? Because he's telling the Corinthians, hey, if you want to check this out, if it's true, go ask these other people. They're around. You can talk to them. You can find out for yourself. Did you see Jesus alive? Well, yes, you did. Okay, that settles it. He's alive, right? So he died. He died so that he would pay the penalty for our sin. Yes. But did he have to die? Couldn't God just forgive us? You know, he's merciful. He's all-powerful. Couldn't he just forgive us? Did he have to put Jesus on a cross so that he could forgive our sins. Couldn't God just wipe those sins away, mm. right? He's, he's powerful, right? Mm-hmm. He's loving, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is that he's also just and that he's fair and he holds a perfect standard. And when the standard is violated, mm. 
it has to be atoned for. There has to be payment for that standard, right? Mm. So if you say, well, couldn't God just kind of look the other way and sweep those sins under the rug? The problem with that is that now you've denied an essential characteristic of God. You've denied his justice. Mm. You've said God is loving, which is true, but it's only half the truth about God, right? You've Mm. denied his justice and said, well, he doesn't really need to pay for sin. Sin's not such a big deal. But that is, a, that is a serious problem because, because, again, this goes back to, I would say, a primary doctrine. That's the nature of God. What is God? God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Yeah. Right? If he's infinitely just, there is no possible way that he can forgive sins without there being a payment for those sins. Yeah. There must be a payment. And it's either... You're going to pay for your sins, Dale. Mm. I'm going to pay for my sins, John Paul. Mm. Or somebody else is going to pay for our sins. That's the only option. There are no other options because God is just. He's fair, right? Mm. And so either I'm going to pay for my sins or somebody else is going to pay for my sins. And there's no other name Mm. under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So you're saying that he's powerful and merciful and loving, but he's also just, and none of those can be violated at any time. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. Absolutely not. Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Now, what is the mark of a true Christian? Let's go personal. What are the, what is, what are the marks of a true Christian? If I become a Christian, if I am a Christian, what are those things that identify me as a Christian? What are those things that identify you as a Christian? How can you tell mm. if somebody's a real Christian, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Or if they're just saying that I'm a Christian. So a true question, Christian... We've kind, of, we've kind of circled back on this, but it's, this is a great way to ask a similar question. Knows and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. They have a right and true confession, right? This is, we're seeing this in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your hearts that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's an essential aspect of confession. You have to confess the right message. If I believe that, you know, if I have a wrong confession, mm. I'm not a Christian, Right? The, the content of that confession is very, very, very important, right? that we confess Christ. But then secondly, obviously, the evidence of God's work in my life is necessary. There's a transformed life. And this is, this is what James goes after with a panga. <laughs> he goes after it in James chapter 2. Right? He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And the answer is, no, it cannot save him, mm. right? It cannot save him because, he says, it's dead. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And kind of the, the summary point of the book of James is that true faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is always demonstrated by holiness and love. So there is this necessary evidence of God's saving work in your life. If you're saved, you're liberated from sin to obey. It's a joy to obey. You want to obey. Your heart desires. The desires of your heart have changed. So you're like, man, I want to obey God. God, show me the, show me the ways that I can obey you more. Show me the areas of my life where I'm, where I'm not being faithful to you. Help me, help me obey you more in, in every little detail of my life. And it's a joy. Mm. And that's obvious to everybody, right? It's very evident. So it is faith. Absolutely. And obedience. And obedience. But mm. you, have to, you have to clarify there and say, obedience is not what saves you. Mm. Right? You're not saved by works. This is the, this is the serious error of the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. Right? You're saved by faith alone 
But the faith that saves mm. is never alone. It's never alone. It's always accompanied by good works and evidenced by those good works mm. in the life of a true believer. So that would be the marks of a true Christian. Now, let's, so let's talk about this uh, faith for a moment. You wanted to deal with this back then. Faith. What is this faith? What, what is this faith? Mm. Well, I'm going to lean on uh, some theologians in church history that were more, that were more intelligent than me. Um, and they, they kind of came up with three categories to describe faith. Mm. They said there's, there's the knowledge of the facts, mm-hmm. right? You, can, you need to know the truth. That's baseline. You've got to know the truth. But knowing the truth is not enough because in James chapter 2 again, he says, uh, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Wonderful example of sarcasm in the Bible, right? He says, even the demons believe. So faith, the, the, the facts are not enough. You have to have the facts, but the facts are not enough. So then they took it a step further and they said, you need to believe that the facts are true, right? The facts need to be, you need to believe that they're true. So they're not just ideas out there, but in fact that they are true. They reflect the truth, the historical truth of Jesus' life, his birth, his death, his resurrection. Those facts, you have to believe that they're true. But thirdly, they said one more thing. You have to have personal dependence on God. Mm. Do you depend on Jesus Christ? Are you trusting Him for salvation? Do you personally confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead? Or do you just believe that those are true facts? You need to believe those yourself. Mm. right? You yourself need to believe those things. And that's the Scriptures are constantly going to push us towards that, that personal belief. Right? That's, you have Jesus, after He's resurrected, He comes to Thomas and He says, Put your finger here. See my hands, right? Put your, finger, put your hand here. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe, right? He's pushing him to personal faith in himself, right? See me? Do you believe in me, mm. right? So there's, there is this sense where it has to be personal, this personal dependence on God for salvation. So to summarize, there's, there's the knowledge of the facts. There's a believing the facts are true, but then there is personal dependence on God, which is vital, Mm. Paul in Romans 4 says that uh, when we are saved, we are reconciled back to God. Yes. S- speak to that a little bit. What does it mean to be reconciled back to God? And, and, and what does that mean when I become a Christian? Yeah, so that speaks to, as you say, reconciliation. Reconciliation is, is bringing two together that were separated. So we have to first ask, well, what caused the separation? Mm. Right? What caused the separation? And the separation very clearly in Romans chapter 3 is sin. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside, right? And the wages of that sin is death, eternal death and separation from God. So when, when Paul talks about this idea of, of reconciliation, right, he's, he's talking about us being reconnected with God, reunited with God. That relationship between God and people is, is restored because, again, of the substitutionary, the propitiary work of Christ. Mm. Um, that, he's, that he talks about there in Romans 3. Yeah. Behavior change and a relationship with God. What is Christianity really about? Many people think that Christianity is about behaving well and doing good things. Would you say it is a relationship with God or a behavior change? Well, I would take issue with your question there. Mm. And I would say, no, it's both. Mm. Because if you have a relationship with God, your behavior will change. Mm it absolutely will change. But the behavior doesn't cause you to have a relationship with God. So it doesn't go that way. But if you have the relationship, it will change. And where, where do I see that? It's so clear in Titus chapter 3, 
verse 4 and following. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he's talking about the gospel, the work of Jesus, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, mm. right? There's not, no good works, no behavior change that is going to save you, right? But what? But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He's talking all about what God has done, okay? Then he finishes talking about what God has done, and then he says this, this saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Mm. So there's this, have you been changed by Christ? Have you been washed and regenerated in the Holy Spirit? Are you a true Christian? Devote yourself to good works because God is devoted to good works because Christ is devoted to good works. Follow Christ in good works, right? You need to do that, right? So is it, is it all about behavior change? Yes. Is it all about believing what's true, believing the gospel? Yes. Mm. But believing comes first, mm. right? The behavior change does not come first. So it is possible that you have a behavior change without a relationship with God. Oh, yeah, it happens all the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, people change their behavior mm. for, for whatever reason. I, I worked with a friend of mine who was addicted to drugs. Mm. He had a serious problem in his life, and it was causing him a lot of pain. And so he joined a group to help him uh, stop being addicted to drugs, and... His behavior changed. Praise the Lord for that. There's common grace. His behavior changed. And so I, I asked him one day, I said, so what is, what is the point of, of this change in your behavior? And he answered me, to have a better life. And in a sense, he's right. He doesn't have the consequences of those particular sins. But the problem is, he still has a problem with God. Mm. Right? He's still separated from God because of his sin. And so he's, he's uh, maybe he's not experiencing the particular consequences of those particular sins, mm. right? But now he maybe has exchanged one idol of pleasure for another idol of self-righteousness. As we finish off, yeah, I want you to summarize everything that we've spoken today and just tell it to us briefly. And this is the question. What is Christianity about? What is the essence of Christianity? In a nutshell, everything that we've said. The essence of Christianity is... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why is that one of the most famous verses in the Bible? It's for a good reason. Because it does summarize this work of God. It's, it doesn't start with man. It starts with God. What has God done? And now what is he calling you to do in response? He's calling you to repent and believe. And how do you know? If you're a true Christian and not a fake Christian, well, you have a right confession. You're confessing what the Bible teaches, but you also have a transformed life, and that's evidence in holiness and in love. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Changing Times podcast. Hope it has been a blessing to you. And if so, remember to subscribe on this platform so that you can be notified on the latest episodes. I also love to hear from you, so write an email to delbuanica01 at gmail.com or text me on plus 256-759-983-785. Today we have been discussing the question of the essence of Christianity. What is Christianity really about? The conversation continues in the episode coming up next Saturday. My guest has been Pastor John Paul Stepanian, a missionary with Sufficiency of Scripture Ministries here in Uganda. My name is Del Buanika, your host. See you next time.